Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. Thank you for joining us for the Gospel for Life. Today, we are minus Josh, um, but hopefully he'll be back for tomorrow. And we've been working our way through the book of Psalms, and today we are going to talk about Psalm 69. It's is fairly lengthy. So we've been reading the Psalms, but instead of reading um, Psalm 69 this morning, um, I'm hoping that either Jonathan or Phil are going to just provide a quick summary or overview of the Psalm before we begin looking at it. Well, uh, Psalm Psalm 69 is a a prayer of someone who's persecuted by his enemies. And uh, it is a Psalm oftentimes applied to Christ in the New Testament. And so we'll see that as we discuss this psalm. It has a, you know, it's it's a foreshadowing in that sense of of Christ. This is a psalm of David, but um, the 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 prayer that is being made here is uh, one. Uh, the one who fulfills this is Jesus Christ, who who was ultimately persecuted. For it, for instance, um, that you would find messianic quality here um, in it. It's one of the most quoted psalms in the New Testament. One, it was applied by the apostles to the rejection that was suffered by Christ. And so we see it in verse 4, particularly where we read, More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who would attack me with lies. What did I steal? Must I now restore? He's asking, what did I do? You know, I mean, the 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 perfectly innocent one, the Lord Jesus Christ, can cry that prayer. You know, what have I, what have I done? So here's, then we also see, um, so this is his persecution by the world. We see also his zeal for God. And in verse 9, for zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen upon me. Um, this, this zeal uh, for the Lord's house, we saw that in John, when Jesus drives the money changers from the temple, you know, he's, you've, you've taken this house of prayer and turned it into a den of robbers, and he, and he drives them out. And it was the zeal for the Lord himself that uh, caused him to do that. So that was also applied uh, to Christ. Um, the circumstances of the cross are found in verse 21. Let me turn to 21. 21. Um, they gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. Now, you have to remember uh, what was taking place at the cross. You remember when uh, they gave him wine mixed with gall? It was a bitter drink, and he, right. you know, it was a- actually something to numb him, well, and he, he refused that. Yeah, and it was offered uh, contemptuously, but it was actually uh, part— Partly an offer of mercy here. Drink this, and it'll numb your pain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, there's in Psalm sixty nine. There's there's so many of these verses that point prophetically to Christ, but it also 
uh, is a psalm that we can very much identify with because it also speaks of suffering for our own folly and suffering for our own sins. And of course, that part we don't apply to Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. But if you but if you look at verse five, oh God, you know my folly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The the wrongs I have done are not hidden from you. Um, and there's a there's an example here of a good example of candor before God in prayer, and nothing that we've done is hidden from God anyway. Um, so, you know, when you, conf- when you confess your sins to God, you are not telling him anything he doesn't already know. Right. And, uh, but these open- the, the opening verses of this psalm have always been very powerful to me. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. And when you, when you feel overwhelmed in life, uh, and sometimes by your own folly, um, th- this psalm is a powerful prayer uh, to take to God. When, when, you, when you have that feeling that, oh God, it, when you're saying the waters have come up to my neck, what you're saying is, God, I need you to deliver me. I need you to save me. I, I have no way out of this situation that I've got myself into. There was a sermon that Sinclair Ferguson preached on Mark chapter 4 when the disciples are in the boat with Jesus and the the waves are, are coming upon them in the boat and the disciples ask the question of Jesus, um, do you care? Right. And then Sinclair Ferguson went on to say this, to, in, in answer to how can we know that Jesus cares? Because the Jesus that was with them in the storm is destined for his own storm. You know the Psalms are frequently cited or alluded to in the New Testament, Testament but one of the most interesting statistics about Psalm citations or allusions is that there's one Psalm that stands head and shoulders above other Psalms in terms of the way New Testament writers use it pointing to what Jesus did for us in his suffering and dying on the cross of Calvary. It's the 69th Psalm. And the very interesting thing and very telling thing in this context is it is actually the description of an overwhelming water ordeal in which Psalmist feels that the billows are going over him and he feels like he's being overwhelmed in this great trial of his faith and there seems to be no help for him. And again and again, in all kinds of little ways, and sometimes in very obvious ways, the New Testament writers draw upon this to say that this is what Jesus was going through on the cross. And then he says this, when on the cross of Calvary, when the world, when he would be overwhelmed by the water ordeal, by the baptism of the judgment of God, that's when we know that he cares. Hmm. And I, I just, it's just masterful Ferguson. Um mm-hmm. But it it just made me think, and we talk about the psalms that we love. It's it's interesting to me that the psalms that people, if we made top 10 list of psalms and compiled that from across the country, I'm pretty confident that Psalm 69 would not make the list and Psalm 110 would not make the list. Mm -hmm. And those are the most quoted psalms in the New Testament, and it's not even close. Uh Mm -hmm. Yes. And... It it often makes me pause and say, "Huh, am I reading my Old Testament correctly?" 
Yeah, that yeah. These are the 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 chapters that the the New Testament writers, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, are alluding to or quoting so often. Um, what am I missing that they didn't make my favorites list? Yes. Well, and this also it it, it, it indicates uh, Psalm sixty nine. Um, there are hints throughout the Old Testament of while the Old Testament certainly teaches the sacrificial system where animals are sacrificed. And of course, we know from the New Testament perspective that that's a preview, that's a foreshadowing of the sacrifice that Jesus will make on the cross. Jesus will make on the cross because the blood of animals does not cleanse away sin. Only the blood of Christ can do that. And one of the foreshadowing hints of that is in here in Psalm 69. Interesting enough that the, that the New Testament writers so often went to this to refer to the cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, look at verse 30. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord. Well, what is this? This will please the Lord more than an ox or bull with horns and hoofs. When the humble... See, see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. Um, there's, a, there's a big hint there that ultimately the, the sacrifice of animals is not what pleases God. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the cross of Christ. And this psalm actually has a lot of parallel to Psalm 22, which brings out that suffering of Christ. Um, you know that Psalm tw- these two psalms um, oftentimes are reflective of one another. Uh, for instance, in Psalm 69, verse three, um, the psalmist recalls that his tongue sticks to the roof of his mouth. Well, this is something that that comes up in uh, Psalm twenty two fifteen as as well. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Psalm twenty two we oftentimes very easily uh, relate to the cross. Psalm sixty nine takes a little more effort to see those things, but we only see, and we see that in relationship to the New Testament. But both of them are are bringing us to the cross. And I, I love, I still love the realism of the Psalms. Um, we can feel this way. Um, we looked mm-hmm. at a Psalm last week, Psalm 43, and there's this line in there. I'm sorry, Psalm 42. In verse 4, it says, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Um, so life there is going to consist of times when we feel waves pouring over us, that we feel like we're in either Psalm 42 or Psalm 69, where the waters have come up to our neck and we sink in deep mire and there's no foothold. And there's a sense of, I'm in trouble. But if you go to the end of either the Psalms we looked at last week or, or Psalm 69, the end of the psalm says, Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion right, and build up the, the cities of Judah, and people shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of his servants shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really the sense, once again, of, of Romans 8, 
Um, there are going to be difficulties in life, but those difficulties aren't the final word. Um, mm-hmm. Those that are in Christ Jesus are safe, ultimately safe. Um, and so in the midst of the floods, in the midst of the waters, there, there's still a security there. Mm-hmm. And the psalmist, of course, uses Zion, uh, Jerusalem, uh, and, and the security of Jerusalem and the peace of Jerusalem as his, as his image. Uh, it's, it's really the psalmist is using it as an image of salvation. Um, and we, we can look at that uh, beyond, uh, beyond Jerusalem to the heavenly city. Uh, the new Jerusalem, which, which is coming, uh, where we will dwell secure and we will be at peace. Uh, the people shall dwell there and possess it. The offspring of his servants shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. That's uh, almost reminiscent of uh, the book of Revelation and its vision of the, of the new Jerusalem and the, the, the peace and security that we will have with the Lord. There's kind of a gem right in the middle in verse 13. But as for me, so all of this is going on. My prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. One of the things that we recognize about the Psalms, these were actually sung, and they're sung by the people of God. And, mm-hmm. and so we have the benefit of of seeing Christ in the psalm, which makes, which which should actually give voice to whatever we sing here. Um, Matthew Henry said, in singing this psalm, we must have an eye to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that follow. This is something that we're bringing out here that points to the cross, but also to our uh, security in Him and our future with Him when He restores us, as He, as it says in the in the final verses there, in the offspring of His. Servants shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. Well, you've been listening to the Gospel for Life. We'll see you again tomorrow. 